Welcome to the Royal Christian Centre Sermon Podcast. We've been looking at for these past two summers already, and uh, we're staying there this summer. In fact, we're probably going to stay there in the next two summers as well, so you know, you can just plan ahead. And uh, it, it's the book of Isaiah, it's a book of prophecy. Prophecy is um, God um, speaking oftentimes of what is not or what is not yet. And um, it's a lot broader than that. But here, um, God is speaking to his people. Anybody here belong to Jesus? Does anybody belong to Jesus? Yeah, that's great. If you're not sure whether you belong to Jesus, can I encourage you? You can. Uh, nobody's excluded. Nobody's left out. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I want to belong to you. <laughs> that was easy, wasn't it? And uh, you say, would you get rid of anything that isn't right with you, Lord Jesus? I'm sorry for that kind of junk. I don't want to be an offense to you, Lord God. I want to be a blessing to you. And I know that you, God, are the greatest blessing that my life will ever know. You're the meaning of my life. You're the purpose. You're the hope. You're the joy of my life. Should we go on? What else is Jesus to us? He's peace, isn't he? And he is promise. He is purpose. He is everything to us. He's the hope of heaven and the hope of every day, now and forevermore. Jesus is good. Uh, you can join with Jesus. So if you're not sure about that yet, hey, I don't mind if you close your eyes and have a little prayer with him right now. If you keep your eyes closed for too long, I'll know you've fallen asleep. I will throw things. Um, but you can spend a little while to begin with. I don't mind at all. You should just go for it. Um, we're going to go on a little further. and We're going to dig into part of the book of Isaiah because it's for people who belong to Jesus. Uh, and that's us. We've just, we've just said it. There you go. You've let yourself in for it now. Um, we're going to be in a, a portion of this book, um, chapters uh, 28 to 39. We've done the first chunk, um, but we're going to carry on into this next bit. We're going to look at things like understanding God's perspective. We're going to find out about the God who waits. We're going to talk about what do we rely on? Do we rely upon ourselves, our own resources, our own wisdom, our own strength, or do we rely on God? going to talk about the idea that God is a consuming fire. Wow, that sounds rather dramatic. Um, we're going to find out which way we ought to be traveling in life. Where is our confidence? Uh, and those are some of the things that we're going to find in the book of Isaiah. I would encourage you, have a read. Have a read of the book of Isaiah. If you're going to be away on holiday, by a pool somewhere, on a beach somewhere, is there anybody? No, a few, yeah, everyone else is just resenting you right now. No, not really. They love you and they want that the best for you. Wherever you're going to be over the summer, um, have a read. Have a read of the book of Isaiah, particularly those kind of chapters. Um, a little bit of background. I'm conscious some of us, uh, we may have forgotten what happened last summer. We may have forgotten what happened yesterday. Anybody? Yeah, a little bit. Last week, it's a bit of a blur. So some context for this book of Isaiah. Who was this guy? And why should we pay attention? Well, we don't know a lot about him, this man Isaiah, but we know that he was a prophet, heard from God, spoke to his people, and he, he ministered to God's people during around about 742 BC to 701 BC, um, so a while ago. And he ministered under four different kings in one of the kingdoms of God's people. And begins in the year that a good king, a man named Uzziah, died. You find that in Isaiah chapter 6. 
And it was a similar period to a couple of the prophets. So if you manage to get all the way through the book of Isaiah, you do get a lollipop. Um, but you can also uh, go on to the book of Hosea or, or the book of Micah as well. They're much shorter. Some of you are like, I'm going to go there first. I like short books. Okay, you can do that. That's all right. It's all good stuff. Uh, similar sort of time, so lots of similar themes. There was two really big events that happened during the time of Isaiah's ministry. In about 732 BC, under the rule of a king called Ahaz, um, everything kicked off. And basically, one of the northern, the northern part of God's people, this kingdom, uh, that should have been friends with the southern part, they just weren't. And the north made an alliance with another country, Syria. Still hear about Syria today. There's oftentimes been trouble in that part of the world, very sadly. But they made an alliance against the south, Judah. And Judah, instead of relying upon God, made human alliances as well. And that didn't go well. But then people don't really learn. A little bit later on, 701 BC, under the rule of a, a good king this time, a much better king, a guy called Hezekiah. I'm just throwing out loads and loads of baby names here, aren't I? Just loads of them. You know, you just you grab them as you want. They're fantastic. Hezekiah, that's a good one. He was a good king. But when the pressure came from Babylon this time, this massive empire that wanted to wipe them off the face of the earth again, they didn't turn to God, but they turned to human alliances. And again, it didn't work out well. So these are the two big uh, crises of Isaiah's ministry. It's that second crisis, this time under the king Hezekiah. That's where we're going to be over the next few years. So I kind of set the scene a little bit. Um, and you could look into it a lot more, but we are going to leave it there for now. And we're going to jump straight into the, the book, if that's all right. And we're going to read a little bit uh, from Isaiah and chapter 28. If you've got a Bible, um, you can head there, read along. It's going to come up on the screen behind me as well, I'm sure. If you don't have a Bible at all, can we give you a gift this morning? We've got free Bibles. We've got other little things to help you get the most out of the Bible. So if you want one, head to that lounge area at the back of the church there. And there's going to be some lovely people who will share those things with you. Uh, when we draw to a close, which reminds me, when we do draw to a close, we are inviting you to really make the most of your time uh, and to dig into, well, three options we're laying out before you. One is to inquire, that, ask questions, either at that start lounge or I'm running a short Q&A at the close of the service here. So if something's come up today that you're interested in or something else that's been buzzing in your heart or your mind, get yourself down here at the close of the service. We'll do a short Q&A for about 10 minutes. Those front rows are thrown over for that. If that's not for you, then how about encounter? How about encountering God? We have four prayer stations in the corners of the room. You can go ask for prayer. Invite God to bring his kingdom, his miraculous, the supernatural, into your natural. Encounter God. And we'll do that even as we continue to worship God as well. Or lastly, encourage each other. Yeah? And uh, we're inviting you to make use of our lovely cafe downstairs. Go get some cake. Go buy somebody a drink, perhaps, a coffee or something, and enjoy one another's company. So inquire, encounter, encourage. And, uh, and that's where you can go at the close of our time together. Isaiah 28, without delay, let's get digging in. Oh, ah, I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce that at the beginning there. 
but it's about the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim and the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley of those overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord has one who is mighty and strong, like a storm of hail, a destroying tempest, like a storm of mighty overflowing waters. He cast down to the earth with his hand. The proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim will be trodden underfoot and the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley, will be like a first ripe fig before the summer. When someone sees it, he swallows it as soon as it is in his hand. In that day, the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people and a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment and strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. These also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. For all tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. To whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast. For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, The Lord will speak to this people, to whom he has said, this is rest. Give rest to the weary, and this is repose. Yet they would not hear. And the word of the Lord will be to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. Anybody confused at all? Yeah, okay, good. All right, that's the word of the Lord. Shall we finish with a song? Uh, No, it's all right. We're gonna gonna dig into it a bit more in a moment or two. Um, Have you ever had a major change in perspective in your life? Any any occasion, um, perhaps, so you'd always thought one way. Uh, maybe you've been quite certain, maybe even a little bit kind of sneakingly proud about the fact that you were right, everyone else was wrong. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, okay, I'm sure many of us we have. And then somehow something comes, you know, maybe a chance encounter. Maybe there's a difficult season, something tests you, tries you. Or maybe something actually blesses you unexpectedly and perspective is changed. Understanding God's perspective, his way of looking at things, his way of looking at his creation, the world, his way of looking at you, his way of looking at the person sat next to you, look at the person sat next to you. Imagine how does God see them? How does God see that person? Understanding God's perspective is an essential part of being God's people. Seeing as he sees, knowing as he knows, and therefore feeling as he feels, and acting 
according to his will. It's important that we recognize that being a Christian isn't first about doing things, all right? It's not first about what you do, okay? We do many, many good things as a church. I know that you're incredibly good towards each other and you're incredibly good to those around you. You do incredible things as the people of God. But being a Christian isn't first and foremost about what you do or what you don't do. Being a Christian is first and foremost about who you are and who you're not. Okay? When we come to Jesus... He comes and he, he finds, as the Bible says, and he's, the Bible says that Jesus, he came to seek and to save the lost. And so once we were lost, but through Jesus, now we are found. Yeah? The Bible says that once upon a time we were living in darkness, but through Jesus, now we are living in light. It's not rocket science, is it? But it's grace and it's good. And the Bible says that once we were wholly sinful, we were by nature objects of wrath. We were rebels lost in our sin and destined for death. That's not a good picture. But through Jesus, who took the wrath of God, who paid the price for our wrongdoing, who opened up a new and a living way, even through his own sacrifice, now we can know life and life in all its fullness. The Bible even teaches you and me that we get to be holy because of God. We get to be saints, yeah? I read in the paper just the other day that uh, the Vatican, they're thinking of making it easier to make people saints. And I thought, it already is easy. You put your trust in Jesus and job done. <laughs> We're saints in Christ. This is an incredible journey that God has taken us on. Our identity, who we are, is where everything comes from. See, being part of God's family is the greatest invitation of your life. It's the greatest joy. It's the greatest satisfaction. And yet, and let's be honest here, we often still find ourselves with a nagging temptation to sin, to still try things out our own way or maybe push at the family boundaries of God's family. Erin and I, we welcomed somebody into our family just a little over a year ago. And um, I think it's going pretty well, apart from this morning. That wasn't great. Um, but our little lad, he is a delight for the most part. But you see, Though he's full of fun and love, and he is endlessly entertaining too, he instinctively knows what it is to push at boundaries. Can I get an amen from any parents? Yeah? Okay. Nobody has to teach our children how to do this, do they? I, I do hope that nobody's teaching our kids this. If I find out that somebody is teaching... No. Uh, it's an instinct. Nobody had to teach him how to lie in the bed to me next mor this morning and punch me on the nose repeatedly. <laughs> Nobody taught him to do that. You're looking at me like you did, John. <laughs> Nobody has to teach him how to fling his food at you when you've just put clean clothes on. Nobody has to teach your child this. Now... I don't want to overstate the case, 
Because especially when babies are tiny, when they're little, they're exploring a world, aren't they? And inquisitiveness is good, okay? And learning is important. And some of that comes at the expense of daddy's nose or mummy's clothes or whatever it is. That's the way it goes. But I would say, actually, in the heart of humanity, and the Bible teaches this to be true, that there's more than natural inquisitiveness. In the heart of people, each of us, there's a a lure, a desire to rebel to disobey. I'm not going to ask for any amens from the parents on that one. It's there within us. I don't think it's a kid thing alone. I think it's there within each of us. I'm sure if we were to be honest that we have each wrestled with such a desire to rebel, to disobey. Ultimately, the Bible teaches it's a disobedience towards God. It's not ultimately about human authority. It's not even ultimately about family life or growing up as children. It's about connection with God. There's a man who many would consider to be a bit of a rebel, a guy called Alice Cooper. And he said this really interestingly. He said, from the lifestyles of those he saw around him and even his own lifestyle once upon a time, he said, drinking beer is easy. Trashing your hotel room is easy. But being a Christian, that's a tough call. That's rebellion. Because the world in which he lived was a world for which to actually connect with God, to be obedient to God, was a rebellion against everything that was going on around him. Now, obedience, it's such a difficult thing. And let's face it, not just for kids until you realize that ultimately you're not being asked to simply do something or simply not do something. Ask people what they think Christianity is about. And I'm sure it won't be long before somebody tells you, oh, it's all thou shalt nots, isn't it? Anybody, you ever met anybody who thinks that's what Christianity is? It's just God shutting us down. Well, actually, it's not ultimately about just God saying, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Actually, ultimately, God is asking you to be somebody. He's asking you to be the person he's created you to be and not be any lesser version of yourself. God is inviting you, and yes, there are do's and don'ts, but God is inviting you to be. As time goes by, Aaron and I, we're going to be asking Judah to be the person that God has made him to be, which I think involves less punching of daddy on the nose. I think it does. Uh, I don't know, I might be wrong on that. (laughs) Other parents who have gone a bit further on are saying, nope, nope, there will still be that. Okay, but fair enough. We're going to invite him more and more to be the person God has made him to be and to be that person in the family that God has placed him in. And that means living in a certain way doing some things that are important to us all in the family, rejecting other things. That's what being part of a family means. And it's the same for every one of us. As we're welcomed into the family of God, as we're called to be who God made us to be, as we're called to be image bearers of God, we're called to be. It's an image that's revealed now by the cleansing work of Jesus Christ. 
we read a confusing chunk of the Bible. But I want to point to you how actually what we read is all about contrasts. It's all about difference. It's all about perhaps thinking one way, but then seeing through God that another way is real or true or better. And so we might change our mind on a few things this morning. God makes some contrasts. In our reading, we found ourselves first up in Samaria, um, in this Ephraim, this place with some of God's people. And then later, we found ourselves in Jerusalem. Now, that name, it means city of peace. But in Isaiah's day, it wasn't even a city of peace with God. They were at war with God. They were in open rebellion against God. And there was so much promise in who they were meant to be in God, who they were named to be in God, yet the reality was falling painfully, scandalously short of God's standard. City of peace. Did anybody listen to the news this week? There's no peace there, is there? There's no peace. And wicked people with wicked intent, hearts made wicked, do wicked things. No wonder the Bible still tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And God teaches very powerfully through his word. You can find it in the book of Isaiah, in fact, that part of the peace of Jerusalem is then the peace of the whole world. And when finally that place is at peace with God, then actually that will be a sign that God's peace has come to the whole world. There's a way to go yet. Could it be that God's best is yet to be realized for a city that even this week is plagued by violence at the hands of extremists? That God's best is yet to be realized in a whole world plagued by troubles, by inequality, by despair. There is a tragic contrast between what could be, what should be, what God wants, and what sometimes actually is. Now the contrast comes... Isaiah is showing because of three areas of rebellion, three areas of disobedience, three other contrasts between God's best and people's worst. First up, there's the area of pride, of human arrogance. And we saw right at the beginning of the passage that we read that they were described as having a proud crown. But instantly, straight away, we could see that there was no reason to be proud. We read through a passage of scripture that talked about people being drunk, that talked about people uh, just fading, that talked about people staggering and reeling, stumbling, talked even about filthy vomit. I'm sorry, you don't really want that on a Sunday morning, do you? But there it is in the Bible. This is not a great environment. People here don't have anything to be proud of. And yet of things of times past, because of the status that they feel they have, maybe because they're doing certain things, certain rituals, and they're doing that right, they think, well, I can be proud, I've got standard, I've got status, and yet when it comes down to it, there's no foundation for that. Pride is misplaced. The word here that's used about this proud crown, it's the same word that's used elsewhere in the Bible about the majesty of God. We compare them and they just, there's no comparison. The pride of the people 
compared to the majesty of God. What a contrast. There's just no comparison at all. The people of Samaria were proud of a beauty that the Bible says was fading like a cut flower. And then it goes on to talk about how they're like a first ripe fig before the summer. When someone sees it, he swallows it as soon as it's in his hand. What it's talking about there is that this mighty power, Assyria, is going to come and look on them just like that. They think they're so proud. They think they're so high and mighty. But in truth... They're just like a fruit nipped off and swallowed as soon as it's nipped. When I was a kid, we used to walk um, down a road called Lever Causeway. You know Lever Causeway, don't you? And uh, we used to walk down there in the late summer with one thing in our minds and many things in our bellies uh, because the, the blackberries would come, yeah? Have you seen it? Have you ever been? You're all going to go down there. It's going to be like locusts have come, isn't it? You're just going to like raise the, 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 the berries gone. But we used to go down and pretty much every time that we would go, we would take a, a little Tupperware box from our mum and, uh, and we would go and we would claim with whichever adult that we were going that we were going to bring back some fruit and, uh, and then they could make something with it or whatever. We didn't really care. Without fail... We came back with a box that was as empty as when we started out. Because as soon as we saw the fruit on the bush, we would just grab it and it'd be like, gone. I'm really sorry. Uh, that's a good one. Get that. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, is anyone else like this? With No? Is it just me? Okay, there's, there's a few of us. All right. I can't pick fruit and put it in a box. It's not possible. I, I don't think it is. It's exactly this kind of image that the Bible is describing here. See the fruit, and it's a fig, which is the greatest fruit on God's earth. I just want to lay that out there. Gone in the moment. Gone in a moment. Think you're so proud? Think you're so high and mighty? This is where you are if you're not right with God. And the comparison, the contrast is incredibly stark. Erin and I, we went um, just the other night to go and watch Liverpool play tram mids. Anyone else go see that game? Yeah, a few of you. I'm not going to tell you which end we sat in because you'll judge us one way or another. You're just going to have to imagine. Um, Judah has a Liverpool kit, but, you know, that's him. Um, I don't know who got it for him. We we sit on the fence. Um, (laughs) We went to see the game, and it was great. Fantastic, really full stadium, fantastic for Tranmere, amazing. But then the first 15 minutes, it's a real tussle. Everyone's going at it. It's great. This could go either way, either way. But then, of course, the game goes on a little bit further, and the contrast, the comparison begins to tell. I think it finished 4-0. Is that right? I think so. There's a contrast. There's a comparison. I'm not making any kind of judgment here, you know. Of course, those teams, they come because actually they come with something of humility. They're wanting to learn. They're wanting to grow. They're wanting to be better for the season ahead. They recognize the contrast, but they respond with right hearts. I wonder if a football match could teach us something as people of God. Do you recognize our weakness? Do you recognize that actually we have no means, no cause, no reason to be proud. 
that God is the one who is crowned. What did the Bible say? In that day, the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people. Do we elevate ourselves or do we humbly come before the God who is elevated above all? What's your heart? What's your attitude? There's a right way to come at this contrast or a wrong way. Don't be proud in yourself. Don't be proud in yourself. And second up, we see a contrast between this false crown of these drunkards of Ephraim, later also in Jerusalem. This contrast between uh, their way and the crown of glory of the Lord of hosts. It is God who is glorious. We are not ultimate at all. All the glory of our lives is in the way that God has created us, in the way that God has saved us, in the way that God shines upon us, his glory. It's like the sun is reflected by the moon in exactly the same way. We simply reflect the glory of God. All of the shining beauty and brilliance of your life is because God is shining into your life. Does anybody know that to be true? This is the truth. This is the truth of the Bible. Now, Isaiah picks up on this one issue of everybody getting ridiculously wildly drunk. I read as I was reading through the Bible in some notes that there's a Japanese proverb. First the man takes a drink, then the drink takes a drink, and then the drink takes a man. And it's a process that they're trying to demonstrate. Uh, you know, I'm sure we can see the, the wisdom in such a proverb. But this, uh, for these people and for many people in our culture today, it's not, it's not a joke. It's not just a matter. It's not a proverb. It's... It's real-life experience. And yes, that's a worst-case scenario, but it's played out all too often. The Bible teaches us that particularly as believers, and let's remember, our lives have the opportunity to speak truth to other people. It's not just what you say, it's how you live. You have the opportunity to bring the kingdom of God into the world or something else. And the Bible gives us a great contrast here that there's something better for you and for me. If we were to look at Ephesians 5.18, we find the exact same contrast where there Paul's speaking to the church and he says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I would say to you that whenever God gives us a do not, he gives us a do that is far better. Yeah? Because it's about who you are, who you're made to be. And when God looks upon us and he sees some of the tragedy of human brokenness, he takes uh, the do not, absolutely, but he brings a do. How did Isaiah phrase it? He said in verse 6 of what we read that actually when God is the, the one who is glorious in our lives, then there is a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment and strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. How much better than what the people of God had turned to? They thought, there's no problem. We're great, we're fine. We're proud, we have a crown, we are beautiful, we're amazing, everything's fantastic. Let's just do what we want. How much better for them to trust in God and receive the spirit of justice to receive strength for the battle. Christians, 
I would say to you, you're in a world that requires you to battle for what is right. Requires you to battle for what is right. There is not natural agreement with the gospel of God. It, this is not natural. And many, most people may listen to something of the Bible, find some wisdom here and there and wherever. But when the Bible tells us to come and give our lives to God, that we must die to sin and live to Christ, when the Bible brings that kind of offense that says, your life should not be your own, hold up your hands and surrender, naturally we disagree. Christians, we're called to battle in the spirit so that people may come to know this truth so that people may also hear the good news of life in Christ Jesus and be changed reject some of the broken ways of our world and be filled with the spirit of justice reject the weakness of indulging ourselves with sinful passions we saw just last week, they wage war against your soul. Reject those things. Instead, be filled with the strength that you need for the battle. Does anybody ever feel weak? God knows. And so he comes to make his strength perfect in our weakness. What a contrast. Lastly, there's a contrast between the mockery of the people of God they heard Isaiah speak. It's this bit where they're saying, to whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? They say, he's talking baby talk. You know, he's just kind of gibbering. It's just rattling out nonsense. They're listening to Isaiah, who's the guy who's hearing from God. And they're saying, oh, shut up with your baby talk, Isaiah. Go, go off and, you know, teach the kids. We're not listening to that. They're scoffing. They're mocking. And the contrast comes again. You see, God was speaking plainly, simply, even so simply that a baby could understand. But they rejected it. So what does God say instead? In verse 11 it says, For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people. People are going to come from a distant empire. They're not going to understand what they're saying. They won't understand them or their cultures or anything. But because they've rejected the simple word of God, soon will come incomprehensible terror. What a contrast. God always comes to us and speaks to us simply first. He always comes to us and speaks to us a message of grace. And we have the opportunity to respond humbly to our God's just as they did then, so now. Again, the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church, he, he said, the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The wisdom of this world has never been properly in tune, in sync with the wisdom of God and you may say that it's getting even less so. People perhaps going further and further away from God's wisdom. Maybe that's true. But the question is not so much about the world. The question is about us. The question is about the people of God. How will we humble ourselves to the simple wisdom of God and live it in grace? 
I would suggest that we come around the table now. You see, God is calling us to trust and obedience. And he's calling us to obey, not because he likes to simply say, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, but because he knows who we are. He knows who we're made to be. And he knows that he's the only one who can enable us to be who we're made to be. The Bible teaches very clearly that Jesus Christ came, God himself, lived perfectly and sinlessly. He died upon a cruel cross in the place of each and every one of us so that we might be set free from sin and be able to live to God, that we might be made new and welcomed into the family of God, that we might be made right and in right relationship with our Father in heaven. God is interested in what you do, but he's fundamentally interested in who you are. The doing flows from the being. And this table that we come around together, and I don't know who's helping us lead around the table today. Thanks, Ron. This table is a table that is incredibly simple. I don't know this morning, you might look at it, and you might say, well, it's too simple. It's too simple. You know, you might be, we might be like the people in Isaiah's day and we might say stop giving me this baby talk give me something that's more sensible give me something that's full of wisdom or sounds impressive in the place of that request God gives us bread and he gives us wine we use non-alcoholic wine it seems appropriate after the reading we've had today I don't know but uh God gives us simplicity. He gives us something that we can all get our head around. See, the Bible teaches that Jesus' body was broken for us. The Bible teaches us so much meaning in such an act. The Bible says that it's by his stripes, by his wounds that we are healed. The Bible actually says that it's through the brokenness of his flesh that comes the new and living way that we get to actually come to God because of his brokenness. Simple bread. Simple bread speaks powerful truth. And then comes a cup. It's a little cup. A little bit of wine. And Jesus said, this is the new covenant, the new promise relationship that is made through me. Specifically, it's made through my blood shed for you. The Bible teaches very clearly that there is consequence to the brokenness of sin. The consequence is terrible. The Bible teaches that it is through Jesus taking the consequence for each and every one of us that we come to newness of life. And so the bread is going to come to you now. It's incredibly simple. Incredibly simple. I wonder, can we, rather than being proud, rather than indulging our own worst impulses, rather than scoffing at the simplicity, 
can we receive the bread today and allow the wonder of the brokenness of Jesus in our place so that we don't have to be broken, but so that we can be made whole. Can we let this simplicity come and speak to us now? Those of you who are sharing the bread, would you mind? Let's share with the family today. Go ahead. After the bread, we'll follow the cup. And again, let the simplicity of the blood of Jesus Christ, which washes away sin, that's what the Bible says, makes us clean, 100%. Let this simplicity speak to your life today. The Bible teaches us to examine ourselves. Maybe that as we've talked about these contrasts this morning, you say, well, actually, yeah, there's pride in me. I think I'm something, but without Jesus, I'm nothing. If that's you, if that's me today, then we must submit ourselves again to him and ask his forgiveness. It may be that we have been indulging our worst impulses. It may be that drink's not an issue for you as it was for those people, but maybe there's another issue for you today. The Bible says, don't indulge yourself in such a way. Rather, be filled with the Holy Spirit. If that's you today, submit yourself to God. Receive his forgiveness. Maybe today, that you're seeking after all of the wisdom of this world, but you haven't a moment for the simplicity of God's grace. Again, return yourself to the Lord this morning. It's simple, so much the better.